Good afternoon and welcome to the Freedom to Buy podcast presented by Supernet. I'm Joe Dworsky, the president of retail banking for Supernet, uh, which is the only payment network that enables true credit card solutions for the cannabis industry, both merchants as well as consumers. Each week, our podcast will take you behind the scenes of banking, finance, payments, and technology to help educate both businesses and listeners on how to make the most of your purchasing power in the world of credit. My next guest started his journey in cannabis back in 2008, before cannabis was the talk of the town. Jason, at the time, was working in the real estate industry up in Washington State and thought this could be a great opportunity in an emerging market to try something new and exciting. So he decided to venture into cannabis cultivation. From this launching pad, Jason leveraged his background in real estate to expand his cannabis interest, leading to the creation of Harvest Health and Recreation and Oasis Cannabis, which was later sold to AIR in 2020. With these earlier successes and exits, this gave Jason the opportunity to start a new and launched Story Cannabis in 2022. Please welcome to the show today, Jason Vidati. Jason, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, going over your background, very interesting. And I'd like to jump right in. And before we talk about Story Cannabis, take a step back and talk about your earlier days in real estate up in Washington State and how that led uh, to your entree into the cannabis industry. You know, there's like, it's quite a bit of crossover with real estate and cannabis because zoning and entitlement is such an intricate part of the business. And so it kind of goes hand in hand. As soon as you look at these applications, which we're very good at applying for licenses along the way. And generally speaking, it had a real strong real estate component, especially in the Arizona market, which we entered in 2011. So you see a lot of real estate developers that actually entered the market. You see a lot of attorneys as well, because a lot of times you had to draft, you know, pretty extension RFPs for these licenses. And my old partner at Harvest was an attorney and I was a real estate developer. So it ended up actually being pretty serendipitous. And, you know, from those earlier days in cultivation, was Harvest Health and Recreation as well as Oasis Strictly Cultivation? Can you talk a little bit about, you know, the businesses that they were in? No, so like in Washington, the early day law that they passed, which we're talking real nascent, right? Like it's still a nascent industry today, but we're talking like ancient history. If you want to like look at this as a whole, the original law in Washington really only allowed you to be a cultivator. And so you could have a very small house grow basically, or an industrial grow, but it had to be very small and it had a low plant count limit. As the industry kind of morphs, you get to Arizona, which is kind of our, our real main market that, that Harvest entered, the license allowed you to have a cultivation, a retail, and a manufacturing facility. So a lot of times how these companies are born, you know, where they start, sometimes led them the direction of the company. So we were completely vertically integrated, you know, from Harvest on Oasis and Story. So all those companies kind of did everything, made products, cultivated, manufactured, and retailed. And you had 
several uh, successful exits, I see. It'd be great if you could share some of those, you know, earlier successes, uh, you know, with our listeners, uh, both, you know, Oasis, which you sold to air and uh, Harvest Health and Recreation, I believe the Harvest merged with uh, Modern Flower. So we had a smaller business in Arizona that merged with Harvest Health and Recreation in 2016, early 17. We had a 50-50 partnership there that over the next 18 months, we built the company from, I think we had a 60 or $80 million valuation at the time. And then we took the company public in November of 2018 for $1.5 billion. And then that company sold in 2020 for $2.2 billion to Trulieve. Wow. After that, yeah. So from there, I was building Oasis. That company sold to Air Strategies in 21. We bought that business back in 23. And we were already running Story at the time. So those overlapped the repurchasing of the air strategies business. And so those, the, that business has also turned into story cannabis assets. What was the, the reason or the catalyst to buy back Oasis? So it had a longer term earnout provision in the agreement and the parties just were in kind of disagreement over that. And both parties, I think were adults in the room and decided that it was better for both companies if we bought the business back. So we had an amicable re-exit, you want to call it, or, you know, later transaction. And, you know, it's turned out well for Air. I think Air has been pretty successful in kind of turbulent times of refinance their debt. Companies looking like they have higher margins and things are kind of under control there. So they've kind of made the right moves. And I think this is another one where it would have been pretty easy to end up in some kind of nasty litigation. And instead, people kind of did the did what was best for their businesses. Okay. Okay. Thanks for sharing that. Now, today at Story Cannabis, can you talk about how, you know, you got to Story Cannabis? Obviously, you had these successful exits and you just mentioned how, you know, Oasis is now part of Story. What's the, you know, what led to Story and and what's the strategy uh, for the growth of the new uh, venture? I kind of thought my time at cannabis was, was up in 20. 20, late 2020, when the Democrats took control of Congress and had the House and Senate in the Oval Office, we really thought that cannabis would take off and that the Biden administration would, would move cannabis into some kind of federal reform. And so the valuations really jumped at that time, right around the time we sold our businesses. And I thought it would just be a complete exit for me and that, you know, the larger CPG companies, tobacco, alcohol companies would start to enter the space and kind of own the industry and the small guy would, the opportunity would be gone. That happened to just not work out. And the Biden administration has, to this date, has really done nothing for the cannabis industry. And then they, of course, lost control of the House, which makes things more difficult because Republicans are, be very difficult to get anything through full reform with Republicans in control. So I started another company because I knew I had another bite at the apple. And I started that company a couple of years ago and it's now developed into a four state operation. And, you know, it's a little bit rinse and repeat now. I've been at it so long that it's gotten easier in even a more turbulent climate, I think, because now the broader market's having difficulties, whereas before cannabis has had its ups and downs and the broader market was going up. 
ultimately really it was serendipitous because it gave us another chance to kind of go build another business. There's time. How many different states is a story uh, currently operating in? Operating in three and soon to be four. So it's in Ohio, Maryland, Arizona. It's operational and soon to be in New Jersey. And we're working on, you know, we're kind of back to our core competency of trying to win licenses. So we've targeted Georgia, Alabama, Texas as markets that we're trying to get ourselves into that are early on. We're more focused on, on markets that have no cannabis law than we are mature markets. We'd rather grow with the market than kind of go into a, a market that's already kind of found itself. Mm-hmm. Well, you got some good news uh, two nights ago with uh, Ohio. Totally. Ohio, I think people are really excited about it, but I think they should you know, temper their excitement a little. Everybody kind of knew that it was going to pass. And one of the reasons they knew it was going to pass is that they also put abortion on the ballot. And so that was going to bring out a little more support from the left. Turned out that they got around 57%, but it still needs to get legislative approval. Um, so it's uh, Senate has been adverse to cannabis in Ohio. I think it's going to be okay and they'll work it out, but I think it's a little early to like claim victory. Right. Okay, that's fair. You should know you're, you know, obviously uh, involved on a, a very intimate level, you know, across these different uh, states. You know, that being said, with the different states that you're involved in, I know, you know New Jersey, you know, my home state, they're, you know, operating currently. I mean, there are a lot of challenges, I imagine, you know, uh, with being a uh, an operator. What challenges are you encountering? Because it seems to be a sexy story. People think cannabis is sexy. Maybe some of the sex appeal has been lost. But, you know, in my learning of the industry, it seems like there's a tremendous challenge and it's difficult to make money in the industry with all these different, you know, tax legislations in different states and how they tax uh, cannabis. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so it is an uphill battle and it comes from the fact that it's still federally illegal. So you, you don't have you don't always have traditional lending opportunities. So you're generally paying higher rates um, for credit. We don't have traditional banking in that sense. We have most companies do have a deposit relationship, but they still have to operate in cash at the dispensary level. And so you don't have traditional credit cards. Um, so you do have cash handling. It also has its operational difficulties in the sense that none of these two states have the same rules. And they're, so every single model is different. So you can't label the same. You can't package the same. The cultivation rules are different. The delivery rules are different. And so you have kind of a compliance complexity. And so it creates all these nuances inside your company that you're really operating you know, one whole business, but each state is like its own, its own, it has its own set of rules. And so when you kind of add all that in, being a vertical operator across the United States is in some ways kind of untenable. I mean, when we were Harvest, we tried to go from two states to 15 states over a two-year period. And looking back, I mean, that's just basically impossible to execute on that plan. So there's no other business I've ever seen where you have to be completely vertically vertically integrated to kind of make make profit in certain places 
and have to deal with every state being its own rules and regulations and having to train your staff at the C at the C suite, especially for them to kind of understand the nuances of each in the individual state and try to actually execute on that. Okay. That's interesting. But that leads me, you know, you, you gave me a good segue. You know, there's no credit cards that are currently available. Nothing that's full that's compliant or that's kosher, if you will. There are a lot of workarounds out there. Um, but could you talk a little bit about because what we're doing at Supernet is we're building a closed loop network uh, to provide a true credit solution to the industry. Okay, because none of the major networks, as you're aware, you know, want to participate there. They don't want their cards, you know, being utilized this point in time because it's not approved on a federal level. Obviously, they can, but it's a business decision, and that's fine. Uh, in addition, the processors don't want to process you know, all the majors. So what we've done is we're creating this closed loop where we're a processor as well as a, a card network to build this infrastructure to make it you know easy for people to to purchase their cannabis on credit. Can you talk a little bit about how you know the need for that in the industry? Given your experience with with all the cash and what that what could what that can mean for the industry, yeah. So you know, there's been a bunch of people who have kind of found band aid solutions from just using ATMs traditionally, which hasn't been shut down. Then there's cashless ATM solutions, and then people have had pin debit. A traditional, just regular credit card solution with Visa, Mastercard on their rails. One, it stats show that there would be roughly an eighteen percent increase in spend when people actually have to hand you cash versus actually use credit in any way, shape, or form. So, I think the industry would see a revenue boost for sure from one. And the simplicity of not having enough cash handling means that their overhead would go down too. Their their banking fees would go down. I mean, it would take a lot of headaches out of the space and increase, you know, increase cash flow and total revenue space. I mean, if it really isn't a 10 to 20% jump, legal markets two and a half, be an app two and a half or $3 billion increase in sales would be fairly significant. We feel the same way. And that's why we're, you know, uh, you know, working on getting this solution uh, to market. It's good, good to hear uh, that validation. With story, with what you're doing, uh, obviously, you've had tremendous success over the years, and congratulations on all that success. And you're back into in the game, as you said earlier. What have you learned from your earlier successes, and what have you taken away to make sure that story doesn't repeat some of the you know mistakes you made, or, and and it's going to be more successful, if you will, in terms of you know where you want story to be in terms of how you're building the company in terms of your management team you know the first time around you can go back five years ago and we've come a long ways right so there's a lot of executives in the space that came from more traditional companies cpg companies or you know whether it's been internet companies but just very smart people very talented people got in the cannabis space and realized it'd be very difficult and the ones who have survived now have you know, five, six years of experience. Um, and we have lost companies. So some people have kind of traded seats or found new seats. And so I think one of the things is just having more talent available to you with people who have experience is, is very helpful. In our case, most of the people that are running our business are people that we have known 
personally or have worked for us historically um, in the cannabis space. So one thing we're not going to do is we're going to do our best to curb, um, just not, I wouldn't say curb growth, but not grow too quickly and try not to grow in the wrong way. So, you know, a lot of times I'll get investors that'll say, how many states are you in? And I'm quickly educating them that they're asking me the wrong question, right? Like that used to be a real mark, something that people utilize as a benchmark for value. And that's just not the right way of looking at things. And so we won't spread ourselves too thin. That's one. Um, We'll pay attention to balance sheet. This is space that's very difficult on the debt and equity side. So trying to get ahead of your skis. But we are just much better at operating the business. We're much more efficient operating the business. Um, our SGNA is not nearly what it used to be on a revenue, a revenue to SGNA basis. And so, you know, honestly, it, we're kind of relaxed, which is a good, which is kind of good news because we weren't relaxed five, six years ago. It was pretty tense and stressful. We're just kind of plugging away, you know, more of the tortoise than the hare. I, I hear you. <laughs> that makes sense. Well, it's always good to be relaxed, especially with, uh, you know, the sale behind your, your back, if you will, given the, the previous successes. With the challenges that exist in the market, okay, and with legislation not being where you thought it may be, what obstacles or what challenges, you know, do you see over the next two years? I mean, do you have a thought on when there might be some meaningful legislation for the industry? Right now, I think people generally have come to the consensus that like see it to believe it or it doesn't count till it's happened. So, you know, like a lot of things, some industries will price in some event in the future. And I think that's a big obstacle for cannabis investors. But Schedule 3 is moving along as the Biden administration described. And that's an administrative process that started last October when the Biden administration came out and said, we're going to reschedule, we're looking to reschedule cannabis and start running the process. And so the first step in that process was the health secretary needed to come out with their scientific data and make a recommendation. They did that a couple months ago and they came out with the recommendation of schedule three. Then it moves on to the DEA. And then after that, some 60-day timeline for Q&A. And then after that, the president you know, enacts rescheduling the, the drug. The DEA has never not followed the guidance of the health secretary, um, but people are still weary. So we're kind of sitting here wondering when that may happen. Um, the average timeline, I think, is between 140 and 200 days from the time the health secretary gives the DEA their recommendation before the DEA comes back with their recommendation. So, you know, the industry is pausing on it, but that would be the most significant thing that could happen for the industry in the foreseeable future. It would be a much bigger net impact to the industry than even banking because schedule three would get rid of 280E. So it would normalize people's ability to deduct their expenses. That would change the cash flow model for every one of these companies overnight. Absolutely. And leading into the banking question, I mean, you're dealing, you're working in several states. How have you found that to be an obstacle? Because as you know, a lot of people don't realize that there are a number of banks that have cannabis banking programs. 
It's just under the radar, if you will. Have you seen this uh, as an obstacle? Because there seems to be a number of, of banks in the states that you're operating that uh, you know are open to uh, cannabis banking relationships. We've had a deposit relationship in every state we've been operating in for a very long time. So we still have to take cash at the dispensaries because we're not taking credit cards, but mm-hmm. we have armored car pickups daily kind of get cash obviously for public safety issue but we've had a banking relationship everywhere so i haven't had much concern or stress on our ability to gain access to some bank form of banking some smaller operators may have a difficulty dealing with the compliance aspects but it's not something that has caused us any pause mm-hmm. and what about on the uh, on the lending side or in that perspective yeah, we have had traditional funding from banks in some of the states we're operating in with traditional rates, maybe a little higher because I think they have some compliance fees, but we are, have seen some single digit lending to us on the cannabis side in, in a couple of states we're operating in. Okay, that's good to hear. One of the few that I've heard, you know, had that ability, you know, on the, on the banking side from lending, you know, I heard a lot of private lenders out there in the cannabis space and given what's going on in today's economy, okay, you know, banks are just not lending in general it's in all verticals. So, you know, the private lending market, if you will, private credit market is that much more, you know, attractive or that that's the avenue that many of these uh, businesses need to go. Have you ventured into the, you know, the private lending market at all prior to having these banking uh, relationships? Yeah, we've utilized private lending and even on our own, in some cases, we've been the private lender. So we kind of venture in all aspects of cannabis. In some cases, we're even our competitors, landlords. Um, we try to be a friendly neighbor. So <laughs> we deal in, we deal on all aspects of the cannabis business, but we've been a borrower from private lenders. We're still currently a borrower from private lenders. We're a borrower from the two largest private lenders in the space, Chicago Atlantic and AFC Gamma. So they've been really good to us and they're the largest access in the space. And, you know, it's nice to know that there is someone out there that has the capital to, you know, deal with your growth if you need it. Private lenders are obviously going to be a little more expensive than traditional banking relationships, but nevertheless, like sometimes even higher private rates are better than taking equity. So, you know, we're fortunate to have had a relationship with all these people along the way. Oh, that's great. I mean, and and I'm, it's good to hear also that, you know, even on the, the bank side, that you're you're getting lending from the bank side at competitive rates, which is, you know, like I said, I, I haven't heard that with many of the, uh, you know, operators that we've spoken to or the businesses in the cannabis space. Let me, let me take a little shift in the conversation. We've talked a lot about, you know, what you're doing at Story, a little bit about what we're doing in, in the credit card uh, space. I just want to take a little uh, shift in, term, in terms of success. Okay. You know, everybody is always interested in, in listening to these podcasts or hearing or reading about other people's success. You know, it's motivational on many levels. Can you talk a little bit about the success that you've had, you know, in the cannabis space? Would you say that your success is more luck or how much is attributable to your timing? So, I don't think it's interesting. I think timing is always kind of a function of being lucky. And so 
in this industry in particular, the ups and downs are so severe, but the businesses aren't correlating with those ups and downs on valuation. So for instance, if you look at kind of the top four MSOs in the space or five, let's talk about top five would be Trulief, Cureleaf, GTI, Verano, and Cresco. Those companies are almost all operating with better margins this quarter with more EBITDA this quarter. And in some cases, more free cash flow. And their valuations are down 75%. So in our case, I would tell you that we built a business. We weren't lucky building the business and we won a lot of licenses and we had a low basis. So we had a lot of equity, but the companies sold at the peak. So we're very lucky and fortunate on our timing of when they sold. I would say not lucky in the respect of just kind of, you know, working really hard and being in, you know, doing this over time and eventually finding a place, but very fortunate on the time they sold and very fortunate on when we got back into the space to build another company. So a little of both. Okay. That, that, that makes sense. And, uh, you know, I've always, uh, you know, my dad always used to say, you know, he'd rather be lucky than, than smart. Sometimes a combination of luck, smarts and timing, you know, all, uh, come into play and help, uh, so wouldn't wouldn't turn away that, that opportunity. What's been your biggest failure in business? That's always, you know, interesting to hear from, you know, a successful entrepreneur because many times some of the bigger failures have led to their biggest success and helped them become more successful. Biggest failure. You know, we at one time in a real estate business ran into just kind of market conditions. We were heavily involved in building real estate around oil communities. And in 2014, oil communities, you know, oil went from $126 down to 25. And so those places kind of turn into ghost towns. And it's something we thought we were going to make several hundred million dollars on, and we did just barely better than break even. And so, you know, I think that that kind of opened our eyes. We're just old enough to have seen 2008, but we weren't, we weren't old enough to really get caught in that, you know, being in our early forties, but we at least saw it, but it didn't feel it like the cycle I saw in the, in the energy industry. And so it's kind of taught us that you have to take your wins when you can get them. And that, you know, the word impossible is something you really don't want to rely on because things move so quickly and dramatically. And the other thing is the last mistake that people made isn't generally the one in the future. And so you kind of think about 2008, everybody kind of got over leveraged, banks gave people too much money. And so people have been very cautious for the last 15 years, but that's not what's happening now. Now people have tons of cash and we have this hyperinflationary environment. And so now it's something else. Rates went skyrocketing up. So now people have to use their liquidity to kind of buy their debt down. So you know, what we've, I think, learned and identified is that the future brings something unforeseen and you need to be careful and cautious. Well, we appreciate your time on today's show, Jason. This has been very informative, enlightening, educational uh, for myself, I'm sure for our listeners. If people want to learn more about what you're doing you know, at Story Cannabis, where could they, uh, you know, learn more information about uh, yourself 
the company uh, looking to reach out to you? How, how can they go about and do that? Yeah, so we have a website. I'm on all the social media outlets. I'm good about responding to people and I'm not very hard to find. So <laughs> we communicate really well. If someone wants to get a hold of me, they can find me on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and I'm happy to engage in any active discussion they want if they want to understand more about what we're doing, what's going on in the cannabis space. Um, always happy to chat. Okay. That's great. That's great. I'm sure some people will reach out to you. Well, thanks uh, for listening to uh, the Freedom to Buy podcast today. Uh, once again, we present this each week brought to you by Supernet. You can learn more about our payment network by uh, visiting our website at supernet.ai. And you can listen to today's episode along with past episodes of Freedom to Buy on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, as well as CannabisRadio.com. Please join us next week on our next uh, show. And we look forward to speaking with you at that point in time. Thanks and have a great afternoon.